So here we go, back to Romans chapter 11. I tried to um, I tried to warn you last week that it is a controversial passage, and and some of the controversy begins uh, to unfold this evening. Um, <clears throat> I can say this: my wife is in D.C. with our daughter, uh, who is pregnant and um, having a little trouble. Um, but anyway, uh, her greatest fear, uh, her her greatest negative about going to D.C. is because she's not sitting in that chair when I'm here on Wednesday night. You know, um, have you ever heard that passage? It's in Psalm 32 that he will guide us with his eyes. Well, my wife guides me with her with her eyes. Um, so she, she's always worried that I'm, uh, without her here, could get uh, out of control. Um, I'll try not. Let me read you... Um, let me just read you the first six verses tonight, and then we'll take a look at these tonight and next week. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Now, guys, the text opens with this uh, emphatic, very uh, um, passionate uh, reply to a question, has God finished ultimately with Israel? And he says, by no means. And then he gives you one line of argument. And then he continues his argument. He moves his argument forward. He moves his explanation forward by using an Old Testament story as proof, that is, this Old Testament story as proof that God has not totally abandoned Israel. Now, maybe you know this story. It's a very familiar story. It's the story about uh, Elijah in, in, a, in a battle with the prophets of Baal. It's contained in 1 Kings 18 and uh, winds up in 1 Kings 19. If you know the story, it's a, it's a great story. It's one of those that gets told again and again and again. You know, um, um, uh, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a, a, uh, a, a test to prove whose God is the God, and, and you know, it's, uh, you take a cow and you slaughter it, <clears throat> and you um, do what you do, and, uh, and I'll do what I do, and he who, the, the God who answers from heaven, he's the, he's the real God. And so the prophets of Baal dance around and cut themselves and do all that all day long, and then, um, you know, he taunts them, Elijah taunts them and says, uh, what's the matter, is he asleep, is he gone on vacation, what's the matter with him, where is he gone? And, and finally, uh, they moves them aside, and he steps forward and does his thing, and God consumes everything, the the rocks, the water, the, the cow, everything. And then those 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophet, prophetesses of um, Asherah are all murdered, are all killed. And then for whatever reason, you, you never know why, but Elijah loses his confidence. He's afraid that uh, Ahab's wife Jezebel is going to kill him because she vows to, and he runs. He runs and, um, and hides. It's a, it's a great story, guys. And then at the, at the end of that, um, while he's in hiding, he's thinking, I alone, it's right here in the text. I mean, in fact, 
right there, verses 3 and 4 and 5, I think, or no, maybe two, maybe 3 and 4, are direct quotes from 1 Kings 19. And, and Elijah says, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the last one left. Uh, you know, everybody else is, um, I alone am left. And they are, uh, and they seek my life. And God says, uh, no, wait a minute now. That's not true. Um, I don't know where you got that from, but there's, I got 7,000 prophets. I mean, I got 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one left. There's still, you know, there's still 7,000 out there that have not. Now, guys, the, the point of Paul using that story is to, is to tell you that even in the worst of times, there is, there is a remnant that is, that is still true to Yahweh. It, uh, there's a remnant that is going to be saved. Um, but even as bad as it may appear and as bad as the times may get, there is still God's people out there. So you're not alone. There's 7,000 more. Now, that's the story that he's using to um, underscore his position that God has not turned his back totally on Israel. You see, when back even when Elijah was there, you know, there were 7,000. It looked terrible then, but there was still... God hasn't rejected Israel in, in total. Now, that's, that's the argument that he has. But before we... Um, I mean, really, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Because I want to go back to verse 2. And uh, I bring you back to verse 2, um, really for only one reason. It contains a word. <laughs> oh, I can hear him mumbling already. It contains a word that, guys, um, often, often a, a, a whole passage will hinge upon one's understanding of one word. You get that word wrong, and it's going to take you in a different direction. Uh, it's going to take you in a direction which uh, sometimes is uh, the wrong direction. And, of course, the word in verse 2 that I draw your attention to is the word foreknew. Uh, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I bring you back to that passage, ladies and gentlemen, and to, and to concentrate on that word because, and I, and I say this, Because you have been so misled about that word. There is such misinformation afoot about that word. And so I'm hoping to settle it tonight for you. I, 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 you know? <laughs> so hang with me. What we're doing tonight is just looking at a word. But I have to tell you this, your understanding of this passage hinges upon what you believe, what you understand about that word, that one word to foreknow, or in the past, he foreknew, or the noun foreknowledge. We talked about this before. <laughs> it appeared, by the way, the word only appears um, it only appears five times in the whole New Testament. Um, I don't know why this thing didn't work. There. Um, that's the word, prognosco. Um, it appears only five times in the whole New Testament. 
And guys, when you're, when you're trying to figure out what a word means or how it's being used in the scriptures, the, the best place to start is to find out how does the Bible use it? The normal word for to know, um, to know is the word gnosko. That's the normal word that's used uh, in the New Testament. And then you've just got this little prefix in front of it. That's, that's to foreknow. Now, guys, this is what you've been taught. You have been taught that this to, to foreknow, that when the Scriptures uses the word foreknow, that it means that God has looked down the quarters of time and he has seen what you're going to do. And as a result of seeing what you're going to do, he has then, based on what he sees you're going to do, he saves you. Or he elects you. And so, as it is taught in Arminian circles, that election is based on foreknowledge. I'm telling you, 94% of you have been taught that. (laughs) I can't prove that 94%, but you have been taught that foreknowledge is God in possession of uh, information beforehand, and therefore, because of what he knows you're going to do, he then responds to what he knows you're going to do and then saves you. That's what you've been taught. You don't believe that. Now, I know you heard that, but you don't believe that. I promise you, you don't believe that. In fact, it's as wrong as anything could possibly be, and I hope to show you that tonight, and it even assaults the very essence of the gospel of free grace. You want to see how? It ain't that hard. It really isn't. Ladies and gentlemen, if God makes a decision about you based on something that he sees you're going to do in the future, then salvation is not by grace. It is by performance. It is by merit. And what God does is that he looks down the quarters of time, he sees what you're going to do, and as a result of him seeing what you're going to do, based on that, he then says, okay, I'm going to save that guy. Now, guys, you can call that whatever you want. That is, uh, I look down the quarter, it says God, I look down the quarters of time, and I see that this person is going to accept Jesus. And as a, as a result of my seeing that, or having that information, I then am going to save them. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just turned belief in Christ into a work, something meritorious, something that is uh, performed by you and rewarded by God uh, as a result of you doing something. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? That is not what this word means. I promise you, and I, I think I can prove that to you, but gang, God looking down the corners of time seeing what you're going to do, and then responding to that, you have eviscerated a gospel of free grace. Because according to that, salvation is not by grace. It's by a work. What work? Oh, you accepted Christ or got baptized or whatever it was that he saw that you were going to do. You have turned 
a free gospel of pure grace into a gospel of human merit. Because God sees what you're going to do, and as a result of what you do, He then makes a choice, He makes a decision about you based on what He saw you do. Even if that doing thing was receiving Christ. You, you turned receiving Christ into a doing thing. Because you don't believe that. God forbid that you should believe that. But let me, let me, let me add to that argument. Guys, um, All right, first of all, you're confusing something else. Maybe you've never heard these words, but let me put them up here for you. Presence or omniscience. See, they both got this word in them. Um, Do we believe that God is omniscient? Of course we do. Uh, prescience is that God is in possession of information beforehand. Do we believe that? Of course we do. But that's not what this is. Uh, is God in possession of information prior to that? In, th- those? Yes, of course he is. That's a part of his omniscience. Yes. But that's not what foreknowledge is. <laughs> All right, let me show you. Here's the first argument. Go to Romans 8. And I can do this, all five passages, but we just don't have the time. Because every one of these passages do the same thing, just a little different way. Um, I'll give you the five passages that you can look up later if you'd like. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, there's the word. That's one of the other five times. It's Romans 11, 2, Romans 8, 29. Those are two of the five times where it exists. Let me, let me listen for you. Um, Acts 2.23, 1 Peter 1.2, and 1 Peter 1.20. Those are the five places where you find this word. Actually, you find the noun form in one place, foreknowledge as opposed to the verb. But it's the same, same root word. Now, guys, look at Romans 8.29. There's something very critical in there that you've got to see. This is just the first argument. There's a second argument that I hope will slam the door. But here's the first thing that you must see. Look at what it says. For whom he foreknew. Gang, if that other thing that I said earlier is correct, that is, God looks down the quarters of time and he sees what you're going to do, and as a result of him seeing what you're going to do, if that is correct, then there's a word in Romans 8.29 that needs to be changed. Do you see it? Which word is it? No, it's not predestined. No, it's not conformed. There's only five words in there. Keep going. You got two. What? Whom? Gang. The object of God's foreknowledge is always people. It's not facts. God is in possession of facts. Yes, that's prescience. But the object of his foreknowledge is always people for whom he foreknew. God doesn't foreknow things. He foreknows people. 
the, in all five of those texts, ladies and gentlemen, the object of, or subject, however you want to say it, the object of foreknowledge is people, not things, not facts, not decisions. You see that. If God is down the corner of time, if that's right, then that text needs to be changed to this. For what he foreknew, he did da 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 But it doesn't say what. It says whom. God always foreknows people. He foreknows me, not what I'm going to do. The object of foreknowledge is people. That's the first argument. But here's the second argument, guys, and I hope, I hope this ends the discussion. (laughs) I hope this this is clear enough for you. I, I hope I'm aided to make this clear enough for you because the whole argument of Romans 11 hinges on how you understand this word. I want you to turn, everybody's got to turn, to Amos chapter 3, verse 2. Amos is hard to find. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets, and I get them all mixed up in terms of order. So just keep thumbing around in there uh, until you find something that looks like an Amos. Amos chapter 3. All right, now guys... If you're, if you're asleep, wake up. Because um, we're going we're gonna to look at two verses, and I hope this will completely clear it up for you. I hope it does. If you'll think, if you'll, if you'll engage, you'll get this. This is not, this doesn't take massive intellect to understand. Amos chapter 3, verse 2. God said, well, let me read verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known. Do you see that? God says, you only have I known. Now, guys, let's interpret that. What do you think he means there? You only have I known. Do you think he's saying, well... The only facts that I have about any country that's ever in the face of the planet is you. I only know about Israel. I don't know anything about Egypt. I never heard of Egypt. You only I have known. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, how the Old Testament is using that word? Known. Gang, let me give you, and I've done this to you before, but I'm going to show you one more. This one will we'll all. This is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore Seth. That's Genesis 4, 1. Adam knew Eve. Now, guys, what do you think happened in that tent that night? Huh? Do you think there was some kind of formal introduction? I don't know much about you. Hi, I'm Adam. Madam, I like to know. No, ladies, and by the way, that wouldn't have resulted in a pregnancy. Gang, do you see how the Bible uses the word? Of all the nations in the face of the planet, you only, Israel, have I known. It's just like a husband would say to his wife, 
of all the lovely women on the face of the planet. You only have I known. You don't know any other women besides Susie? Yeah, I know a lot of them. But I've only known Susie. And we'll stop that right there. <laughs> I would love to go further, and that's why she's afraid to be in Washington, D.C. Uh, <laughs> but, but guys, do you see? The Bible is not using... In fact, the Hebrew word is yada. I looked that up this morning. That ain't easy. It's the normal Hebrew word to know. And when it says, I know you only, I have known, it is you only, Israel, have I entered into an intimate, long-term, faithful, committed, lasting relationship. Let me show you one more. You've got to see this now, so open your Bibles to it. Genesis 18. Okay, guys. I am reading from a New English translation. I think that's what it's called. All right, so I, I, I'm going to need some help from you in just a second. But let me, let me read you Genesis 18, 19. Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep, his, uh, keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham, etc. All right, the, 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 the focus is Abraham, by the way, and it's, the him is Abraham. For I have chosen him. That's what my translation says. Now, who out there has a New American Standard? Anybody? No New American Standards? All right, Carol, what is, read the New American Standard, please, ma'am. All right, uh, I thought it was the New American Standard. Uh, how about the, yes, ma'am. New King James. Ah. I, I checked all this, and I, you know, but I checked them all this afternoon. What, what I've got is chosen, what Joanna's got is known. And in fact, in my margin, if you look in your margin, my margin says that the Hebrew word there is known. This one, yada. It's the same one that's found in Amos chapter 3. And God says, only, Abra only Abraham, uh, no, no, I have known Abraham. Now, what is he saying? That I don't know anybody else around here? That we're strangers? What is he saying? The, the translators of that word are wrestling with it so that in my translation they just said, oh, heck, just put chosen in there. Because basically, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it means. That's what it means. That's what it means in Amos chapter 3. You only, Israel, have I chosen. You only, Israel, have I known. Abraham, I know you. Abraham, I chose you. Guys, foreknowledge doesn't have anything to do with facts. It has to do with God entering into a lasting, permanent, intimate, 
spiritual relationship. Guys, what is it that we've come to know Israel, we call Israel, we call her the chosen people? Yeah. You know why? Because only Israel have I known, says God. Foreknowledge is not something cognitive, ladies and gentlemen. It's something visceral. It's something emotive. It's something committive. It's something lasting and bonding. It's something immensely spiritual. When, when the Bible says, I know I, Adam knew her, Adam is entering into a special, unique, focused, intimate relationship with a woman. Just like a husband enters into a relationship with a woman that I hope is focused, and I hope is unique, and I hope is intimate, and I hope has limitations. God did the same thing, guys. I knew Egypt was out there, but I've only known Israel. I know Assyria exists, but I've only known Israel. I know that the, the, the Lebanese are right there in north of Israel, but I've only known Israel. Do you hear what, the, what, what, what it's saying, guys? Only Israel. Only Israel have I loved. Only Israel have I entered into that relationship with. Only Israel. Um, guys, that is the story of the whole Old Testament. That God first entered into a relationship with Abraham. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. That God takes this man out of a family full of idol worshipers and he says, I have known Abraham. I have entered into that relationship with Abraham. And I'm going to build a nation out of him. And ultimately does. And then he says, only Israel have I known. She wasn't a nation. But she's a nation now. Because I foreknew. My brother and sister in Christ, if you are seated here tonight as a believing woman or man, it is not because God saw what you were going to do uh, at Young Life Camp. It's because God foreknew you. He set His love upon you before the foundations of the earth. Now, here's the critical point, guys. I mean, not, not in... But here, if you're, if you're trying to understand Romans chapter 11, verse 2. That is, I, I, I go to all that extreme for a couple of reasons because I'd like to correct some error, but I'd also like for you to understand the text. Guys, the point is, why is Paul so 
why does he so emphatically reject this notion that God is finished with Israel? Why is it that he says, by no means? Um, why is it that he is he immediately responds to the to the idea that God has set aside Israel? Do you know why he's so exercised over that question? Because, ladies and gentlemen, if that's true, that God has indeed turned his back on Israel, then God has lied. His argument is he can't reject Israel, the people whom he foreknew. He can't do that. God's not finished with Israel. That's unthinkable. Because that would mean that God has, has contradicted himself. That, that God is going back on his own purposes. Such, such a thing is, is unthinkable. The, the, the very idea that God would not keep his word. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you assign any other meaning to that word, then you miss the whole sense of Paul's argument in Romans 11. You have got to have this understanding of foreknowledge for this text to make any sense. God is, Paul is saying, of course he's not through with Israel. He wouldn't be through with the people that he foreknew. He couldn't dare do that. That's why Israel has still got a role, ladies and gentlemen. Because God entered into a permanent, intimate, unique, spiritual relationship with His people. He couldn't possibly toss them aside. Because He has foreknown. Gang, one of my constant, one of the repeated issues that raises its ugly head again and again and again among God's people is, am I safe? Am I, am I really going to end up in heaven? Because you know I've done some very bad things. Ladies and gentlemen, the point of my raising that issue is we are safe not because you did good things and not because you did bad things. We are safe because we are foreknown. God foreknew you. He didn't foreknow what you're going to do. He foreknew you. He set his love on you. And for you to be lost after that is unthinkable. Just like the, the mere suggestion that God is finished with Israel totally. By no means. 
He would never do that to the people whom he foreknew. Do you see that? Change that word. And you change the sense of the text. Put some kind of silly God looks down the quarters of time and he sees what we're going to do. First of all, you're going to have to alter five verses where the word is found. And you're going to have to put what's in every one of them. But even more substantially, ladies and gentlemen, God is not going to turn his back on Israel. And he's not going to turn his back on you. He set his love on you. He foreknew you. Oh God, might the glories of the gospel wash over our souls this evening. That this great work of redemption that you have performed in Israel for Abraham, you have performed it for me. And that our souls are so inconsistent and so so flawed and so broken. Oh, it is true, oh God, and we we grieve over it, but our our joy is in the knowledge that you keep your word to me, to all those who embrace the Savior just like you kept your word and will keep your word to Israel. Lord, might that help your people? Might they go away with a sense of refreshment of of knowing something so profound? And might you speak peace to the base of our souls by simply knowing the great beauties packed into the word for knowledge. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.